0: I love that song, too, because it really, really exemplifies what we've been talking about um, in the positive. Uh, We've been really, we're finishing up our series, our three-week series on pride called Killing It, because we really wanted to see in in light of the scripture and the truth of God's word, how do we really kill this thing that we all have? And those of you that are saying you don't, that's okay. It's that little thing called pride that we're trying to kill. That's telling you you don't have it, but you do. (laughs) Because I know, because uh, you're probably just like me, you're a human being. And pride creeps in. It creeps in and, and, and it does in different ways and in different areas. And so we've really been looking at that. How, how we need to kill it. How, how can we kill that pride that, that does so many things, keeps us from or causes us to? Keeps us doing these things that we don't want to do, never thought we'd be doing, but we're doing it because of pride. Or, or causes us. To act a certain way. Or to not do something. See, pride will kill you if you don't kill it first. And, and we've been looking at the idea of not just killing it ourselves, because if it was as easy as doing it ourselves, then we could just, just give you a couple things and go home. No. This, this is the idea of looking at it, of how do we deal with pride through the power of the Holy Spirit? H- how do we deal with pride in light of walking with our Savior? That song, again, it just exemplifies this. I I humble, I come humble, I bow down. I want to worship you. Because that's what the Christian, the only difference is we come to God and we say, we can't do it. I don't have what it takes. I might be smart. I might be pretty. I might be rich. I might be this. I might be all these things. But at the end of the day, it really isn't enough. It's not enough to deal with those things that can really hurt us, such as pride. And so, Pride, um, I, I want to give you some of the ideas because some of you might be like, well, pride, that's good. But this is the pride, by the way, that causes you to critique every bad driver on the road because you would never drive like that. Have you ever found yourself doing that? I, 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 I do that all the time. I am a, I'm a champion criticizer. I really am. Like if there, was a, if there was an Olympic sport, I would be a gold medalist. Like I'd be like a 10-year like you know, gold medalist. Because I just when someone does something, it takes me off and I just have to say something. Because I'm a very verbal person. I'm very dramatic. I know I'm telling you something you you don't know. You're like, You I thought you were so calm, cool, and collected. Yes. Um but this is something new. So But but I just do that. I I, I just and my wife constantly you know, she just hey, 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 maybe you shouldn't say that. I know I shouldn't. You know, I'm constantly telling myself, Okay, I can't do that. But that's that pride, because I wouldn't do that. Uh huh. The pride that causes you and your spouse to critique every other parenting style is wrong or that can't be the right way because you've got parenting down and they don't know what they're doing. I mean, have you seen their kids? Shh. right? How about the pride that causes you to snap at your kids in public because they are embarrassing you in front of your peers? Ouch. Or the pride that causes you to embarrass your kids in front of their peers? At their Little League game, because the ref or coach is obviously blind, and you got to tell them, right? The pride that keeps you rejoicing when your coworkers that you can't stand, finally fails, and you just feel better when they fail. So there's a lot of things that pride can come in. And, you know, and if we're honest, pride isn't pretty. Pride's ugly. It really is. And, and, and we know that it's ugly. We know that it's wrong. And yet, there's there's something in us that just it just keeps creeping up. And it and, and it causes us. If we if you remember from the first week, it, it, pride is a prison cell of one. It really is. It keeps us solo. It keeps us from that relationship that we could really have with our spouse that relationship we could really have with our kids that relationship that even from what the scriptures say have with our lord and savior with our god our heavenly father because pride is so big it creeps everybody to the corners of the room and keeps everybody out so it's just yourself and last week rihanna as she was preaching she she talked about this idea of the three p people it's really hard to say fast don 't do it. Tell a little kid to say it it's really funny, but um the three p people what you know we, we looked at this idea that that um, that we all have possessions, we all have a place, and we all have power and And, and let me give you a fact that's going to blow your mind. We, we looked at this a couple of months ago, but I'm just going to reintroduce this to you, and some of you this is the first time you've ever heard it, but you are fabulously wealthy. Some of you are like, no, I'm not you haven't you, know, you don't know no, you are. See, the statistic is if you make over $22,000 a year, which is kind of almost everybody in America on average, then you are the top 4% of the entire world in wealth and wage earners. That's huge. And so to say we don't have power, place, or position is kind of looking at statistics and logic in the face and saying, I don't believe you, I'm going to walk away and go home. Because it's true, you are. And so the fact that we are 3P people means, and what Rihanna talked about last week, that that we have a, an actual gift from God. We have a responsibility. We have to acknowledge and recognize that He's given everything we've got to us. And we give it back to Him. That helps. That helps to kill pride. So this last week, this is a tough one, because this one really hits home, I feel, I feel with myself, but I feel it's going to hit home with you, and before you kind of just check out, I really want to give you some stuff in this, but we take notes in this church just to, to keep us a little, you know, on track here, at least for me, it helps me. So the first note that I would say, if we're going to kill pride, the last aspects we want to look at the pride that comes to us all in how we are known. Okay so this is the knownness now what do I mean by that this isn't just the teenager who wants to be the rock star or the teenager that that, that says i 'm going to be a famous rock star or a famous actor that 's not the known i 'm talking about this this could just be the kid that wants to fit in or or how about the adult who just wants to be known as the hard worker I want to be known as the hard worker I want to be known as the worker that everybody respects I want to be known as the worker that that knows it all. Anybody else there? You want other workers to come to you and say, hey, oh glorious known worker, how do you do what you do? Can I offer you tribute? Oh glorious worker. You get what I'm saying? Now, that's a little facetious, obviously. But the truth is, every guy out there, to some extent, wants to be the grill master, right? Right? The grill master. You want other men to lay their spatulas down at your feet and say, grill master, teach me. Teach me your glorious grilling ways. See, every single one of us has something that we want to be known for. If you're a musician, I don't think there's ever been a time in your life where you haven't said, I want to be, the, I want to be really good. And not just to be good, but just so that others will be like, wow, you're really good. Do, do you get what I mean? It's a part of that. I play video games. Half the reason I play video games is so I can kick everybody's butt that's the truth and I want everybody else to be like wow you're really good and I can go oh stop it but really keep telling me you, you, you get it every single one of us has that in us to be known as the parents of those kids or that kid that is super good at that thing wow I was listening to a preacher talk the other day, it was really interesting, and he was, he was confessing something, and I was like, what are you doing? But, but it was really interesting, because I'm like, I think I've been there, and he had a, a child that was really good at the piano, and they were playing at a recital, and they were sitting back, and they were like, oh, that's all the other parents, you know, tell me if you haven't been there. We're turning around and just being like, that's your kid? Wow, you know, and he's just sitting there, oh no, he's, we just haven't practiced, you know, and he's taking it all in, like, wow, this is, that's right, that's my kid. But then the kid messed up, I mean, really bad. And, and this pastor was like angry. Why? He wanted to tell his kid, how dare you? What are you doing? Because he wanted to be known, right? It's that idea. I mean, it's in us. This is the pride that just creeps up. And see, the simple truth is we all have an audience in mind. We all want to be friended, followed, liked, or mentioned. And by the way, we're living in a time where we have the most known pride, I think, since the beginning of time. When you can actually go out and buy a device that helps you take a better picture of yourself. (sighs) This is a sad day and age we live in, I'm sorry. I think the happiest sign I've ever seen, I'm not a rules and regulations guy, but I would back this sign anywhere I go, which is the no selfie stick sign in public. I'm like, I like that sign. I'm with you. No selfie sticks. But but this is the truth. We live in this world where we, we, we have so much about being known and, 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 and the more we can put it out there and how many followers and how many likes and, and do people look at me and do they care and do is my tank of knownness being filled up? Because we all want to be recognized, admired, sought after and maybe even envied. Think about it. What chose you or what caused you to choose that car you bought was it really the gas mileage was it really i mean when people see you in it or the house or the clothes or ha- i mean think about the stuff that you own the stuff that you show off is it so that people will look at you and say i want to be you look at look at that that's awesome see we're all hoping to get more self esteem more respect from the people around us. This is a fact that I think this comes out of this. We all have an appetite to be known. We all have an appetite to be known. And, and, and appetites are really simple. See, the thing about appetites is, the more you feed it, the bigger the appetite becomes. It's that old kind of metaphor, I don't know if you call it a metaphor, or an analogy, I'm always hazy on those terms, but it, it's, it's the guy that has the two dogs, and these two dogs are about the same age, from the same litter, brothers, And he feeds one. He's only got enough food for one, so he feeds one. Well, that one gets bigger and gets tougher and meaner, while the other one gets smaller and more submissive. And the more he feeds the bigger one, the bigger one the bigger gets, but the bigger appetite he gets, so eventually that dog, you know, takes over the other dog. See, it's the appetite. The more you feed it, the bigger it becomes. The more tough it gets to feed it. See, you can never have enough friends. You can never have enough money. I love Rockefeller's thing. Mr. Rockefeller, when he was asked by a reporter, how much more money do you need? Just one more dollar. <laughs> but you're the richest man. Just one more dollar. Just one more. You can never have enough pleasure. You can have never enough, never enough esteem, respect, etc. Fill in the blank. Because the more you feed it, the bigger it gets. This appetite to be known starts when you're young, too. Anybody who's had little kids around them long enough, longer than a day, knows this. I think the cutest thing, but that shows this as well, is when a kid comes up to you. Maybe you're, I, this happened a lot when we'd go over to my um, my uh, in-laws' house because they had a pool, and my kids would say, "Watch me, watch me, you know, watch me do this." Right? It's never just the one time they want you to watch it; it's the hundred second time. Like, there's only so many times you can watch them jump off something. You're like, "Okay, I get it. I'm fine." <laughs> But they want to be known. Watch me. Watch me. Pay attention to me. It's this innate knownness in them. They want to be known. It's like they have a tank to be known that they expect us to fill up. And no matter how good of a parent you are, you cannot fill their known tank enough. Some of you had some great parents but you still went searching as you got older to other things, other people, to fill your known tank, to make you feel better, to get the acceptance. To fill that tank. Maybe it was a teacher. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was a family member. Maybe it was a boy. Maybe it was a girl. Maybe it's become a career. Maybe it's become a job. Maybe it's become that ideology or that thing. You get it? It's constantly shifting, but we're always going to the new thing to be more known and to get our knownness tank filled. So I have a a serious, um, I had a serious thing when I was a kid. I, I really wanted to do martial arts. I loved martial arts. I was in a... When I was about 15, 16 years old, I, did, I started a thing called Kaju Kembo, which was great. And it's karate, judo, jujitsu, kempo, Chinese boxing, kung fu, gung fu. It's all this stuff mixed together, you know, by a bunch of crazy black belts in Hawaii, and they put this thing together. And I, I was able to do that for about a year and a half, because I convinced my dad to pay for it. And when you're a kid, you're basically a homeless person begging for, you know, whatever you get, right? That's just the way it is. Kids are homeless people. I think uh, one of my favorite comedians talks about that. He just says they are. They're just, they beg for everything they get. Please give me and they'll cry and they'll, they'll beg and they'll plead. And that's just what they do. And so that's what I did. I went to my dad. He helped, he paid for it. But I only got to go for about a year and a half and I got to an orange belt or something. I loved it. So I've always had this thing in me. I was like, man, I want to be a black belt. I just, I love it. It's so fun, and it's like exercise, but it has purpose, you know? <laughs> Sorry for those that like to exercise, but I just feel like I've done nothing for an hour, except for, like, move my body. But at least with this, I'm going somewhere, and I'm learning things, and it looks cool. So, you know, here. so I actually signed my family up. We, we, we were able to recently to sign up our family. We've been going for about two, three months now to uh, Taekwondo, Tang Soo Do and we're now yellow belts and and it's funny because my black there's not a lot of people in my class that are my age I'm, I'm basically i'm going against like teenagers so i feel pretty good you know what i mean my self esteem's nice cuz here i am i'm i'm a man my friend calls me and says chris you just joined up so you can beat kids up and i'm like yeah but i feel good <laughs> cuz i can still get them you know uh, <laughs> no i i don't beat kids up but um <laughs> but, but to some extent, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. i got good form because I've done this before and everything. And, and my our black belt, our instructor, he's a 17-year-old, two, second-degree black belt. He's been going for 11 years. Now, he's young, but this kid knows what he's doing, and he's tough. He's not your normal 17-year-old. He could easily beat me up, all right? I'm just saying, well, anybody can really beat me up. I'm not that tough. But point is, so he he, he says, you've got to come this Saturday because we're going to have two other black belts here, and they're like you. They're old and tall. Okay. All right. All right. I'll come. That's fine. I'll be there. But he said, "By morning, I mean it's a, it's a workout. You know, it's a workout, right? And I'm used to the workouts now for, ta- for 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 Taekwondo. I mean, it's pretty tough. If I didn't have 800 milligrams of ibuprofen running through my bloodstream right now, I would not be able to stand. That's the truth. Because I am dead. My legs hurt. Everything. I am so sore right now because I went and these black belts that I met." Oh my gosh. One of the guys was older than me and he, I'm like, where do you get your stamina? You know? And here I thought, I'm going to go into this and I'm going to show these guys and they're going to look to me. You know? Even if they're black, But they're going to be like, oh, this guy's got what it takes. This guy's good. He might be a yellow belt, but oh man, he's on the fast track. That's what's going on in my head. You see how it creeps in? And now I've got to take 800 milligrams of ibuprofen because of my pride. I'm dying here. I woke up in the middle of the night I'm like, oh, you know. I mean, anybody else? Pride is painful. Literally. Pride is painful. The pride to be known, it'll never be filled enough. Because eventually I'm gonna get my black belt. I know I am, got Lord willing, I wanna get my black belt because I love it, it's great, but is that really gonna fill me? Is that really going to make it to where? oh, you're a black belt? (laughs) There's always going to be someone who's better, bigger, right? So today we want to learn about how to really kill this known pride. And I think the best way to figure this out, the best way to look at this, is through a person who is so well-known that when I say his name, you're going to be like, oh yeah, I know that guy. Most of the world still knows this guy after 2,000 years, and it's not Jesus. (laughs) Because that's the easy one to do. Um, It's John the Baptist. Many people, more people know John the Baptist than don't know John the Baptist. And John knew what it was to struggle with known pride. He had people around him pushing him into known pride. He had situations pushing him to try to get this pride creeping out of him. But he fought it. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, he was able to kill it. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to go to these scriptures... But before we do, let me give you this take-home truth that really helps us to understand and kill the known appetite. Our take-home truth is simple today. It says this, Killing pride means we make Jesus known every day and in every way. So to look at this, we've got to kind of take a couple of scriptures because the the Gospels are synoptic, which means you get different snapshots of the whole picture through different Gospels that show the whole thing. And so what we've done is we've we've taken the book of Mark and the book of John, and we're going to look at John the Baptist, okay? So if you can do me a favor, we're going to read a couple verses. If you can stand on up for the reading of God's Word, as we read out of the book of Mark first and then the book of John, to see this awesome guy... That Killed known pride, all right it says this in Mark chapter one verses four through eight, and so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. Now the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. Like some of you did this morning, right? Okay. Uh, No? Okay. And this was his message. After he comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. So I baptize you now with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, John 119-23 and 35 through 7 says this. Now, this was John's testimony. See, when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was, he did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Anointed One. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer so take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. In verse 35, the next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Now when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Okay, you may be seated. Now, I know we're kind of jumped around here, but it's a good, good way to get a kind of a snapshot of, the, of John the Baptist, okay? So, first thing we have to see is he came onto the scene kind of mysteriously. It says he just sort of appeared out of, out of the wilderness and he came out there. And I mean, here's an interesting guy, right? He's eating locusts and honey. And, and, and by the way, for some of you that, that, that think that's weird, uh, um, more people in the world eat grasshoppers and locusts than don't. I don't know if you know that. I just found that out, and I irped a little bit, okay? Yeah, it's, it's gross, but it's true. A lot of people do. There's a lot of protein in that. So a lot of people do that. So this is kind of a normal thing, but he's got honey, he's got locusts. It's obviously he's, he's getting his sustenance from the Lord here, and he's baptizing people. Now, to us, it's easy to kind of just walk by this and go, okay, so he's out there. The whole countryside's coming to him. Jerusalem's coming to him. It seems pretty basic. You know, he's baptizing. Great. Well, we need to understand this from the cultural context. First and foremost, we can kind of look at this and go, oh, the countryside, isn't that nice? We're talking not hundreds of people. We're not talking even thousands of people. We're talking hundreds and thousands of people. Hundreds of thousands coming to John. Like before Facebook, before Instagram, before the, the nightly news, word of him was getting around. This was a hub Hundreds of thousands of people coming to him. And he's doing this little thing called baptism. And again, many of you have heard of baptism. Or or, or you've kind of maybe seen an idea of it. But back then, this was new. See, baptism was only something you did to yourself if you became a Jew in that day and you would clean yourself. It was a ceremonial cleaning. But it wasn't the same thing. It wasn't a baptism of repentance. So John is doing this whole new thing. He's called by God to do this whole new thing. I mean, it's revolutionary. People are coming out, even the religious leaders, right? They're coming out going, who who are you? What is this thing you're doing? This is brand new. Who are you? He's an innovator. He's got hundreds of thousands of people. He's got the bigwigs, the mucky mucks coming to him, sitting at his feet, saying, why, how, who are you? See, this is a big deal. I don't know about you, but I don't think my head could get out that door. If this was me. Because I would have a big head. But not John. Because they're literally saying, you demand. man. Talk about filling up your known tank. Talk about getting an appetite. Or potential appetite. But John shows us something here that I think is really important. The first part, or first aspect of killing this kind of pride... It's simple. Killing pride means we reflect Jesus to make him known, not ourselves. See, John does this thing. He quotes an Old Testament scripture found in the book of Isaiah because they're all coming to him. And everybody's coming to him. He's baptizing, he's doing all these things. And they come to him and they say, Who are you? And he's got a chance to say, I'm it, baby. And don't, don't look at me like that. T- I know you've done this. When people come, I mean, even when my kids say, You're awesome, I go, I know. It's so easy to do, right? It just is. But he does this thing where he kills pride. And he quotes this Old Testament scripture, which seems kind of weird, but he, 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 he says this, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. See, in the Hebrew, it's a very, Hebrew is such a great language. It's very picturesque. It's very poetic. And literally what he says is, he could have held up a signpost and said, I'm just a sign. That's it. You you, you open up a map and you look at where you need to go, that's all I am. I'm just a sign, I'm a map, I'm just an arrow pointing to God. I'm literally a mirror. When you look in a mirror, you you don't see anybody but you or whatever's being looked in it. Many people don't look at a mirror and go, oh, the mirror, it's so... No, they look in the mirror to see this other thing, right? He's saying, I'm a mirror, it's not about me. I'm just a reflection of God. It's about Him, not me. That's huge. In fact, he goes on to say this, After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. See, you think I'm something? I ain't nothing. You think I'm all that? I'm not. See, there's one coming. He's he's the one that's all that. I'm just a reflection pointing to the one that it's all about. And he uses something here that's very common to the Jew at that time. You see, most Jews had servants. Middle class Jews, they would have servants, but but the lowest of the low servant, the one that was either the oldest or the youngest, the one that really didn't have much skills, couldn't do much, would be the one that would clean your feet, take your shoes off, or tie your shoes in the morning, because most people would have these servants that would do this for them. They wouldn't have to do it because it wasn't like just slip ons. You know, anybody have slip on vans or how about those really nice uh, kind of you know flip flops you get today and you're just like. You're done and you're going? No. We're talking the serious sandals that are like tying. I mean, it it, takes—it was an art form. These are their shoes. These weren't simple. We don't even go into the undergarments of that day. Not simple either. (laughs) But the point is, thank the Lord for for easy shoes. No, that's not the point. The point is this. They had to get these servants that would do this. But these were the the worst servants. These were the, the ones that were on the last leg. And he says, I'm not even that guy. I'm not even that person. I'm not even fit to do the lowest serving job. He's reflecting. He says, I'm just here to talk about that guy. I'm here to tell you Jesus. John helps us see a very critical part of killing pride. You see, in your family, who are you fighting to reflect daily? In your school, uh, who are you struggling to reflect? In your marriage, who are you seeking to reflect and make known? In your job, along your commute, in your hobbies, in everything you do, are you killing pride by reflecting Jesus? It's a simple aspect, and yet he does this, and it's awesome. Second aspect here of killing pride means we relinquish everything. We relinquish everything to Jesus. See, it says in verse 35, the next day John was there again with two of his disciples, of which he had hundreds. He had a lot of disciples. In verse 36, when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God, the Anointed One. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. See, this is huge because we, again, this is one of those things we've got to slow down and really process because here's here's John. He's reflecting Jesus but every day he's challenged to relinquish even those that are building him up and making him known. Anybody ever been unfriended? Anybody ever said to you, I just don't want to hang out with you anymore. You're not my type. It's not fun, is it? When I was a youth pastor, everybody loved me. I was the crazy uncle. Right? I was the fun guy. I'd come in, Hey! I'd come in, everybody, Hey, it's Chris. <laughs> He's the youth pastor. You can get away with anything. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm the senior pastor. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'll tell you, you can't get away with anything. Secondly, I've had people tell me to my face, I don't like you. I never had that. I was in ministry for ten years. I've had people tell me I don't respect you. I don't want to come to your church. Why? I don't like you. Oh, boy, that did a lot. Of, that did a lot to me. And then I know the statistic that it says ninety percent of your church is there because of you. Oh, what? I don't want them here because of me. That's that's hard. That's really hard. Because you know what that says to me? I I I need to be better. I need to be more. I need to do. That. You give what I'm saying. And and for John. He says, look, there's Jesus. I'm going to reflect him. And then his people go, that's awesome. See you later. We don't want you anymore. We want him. And John doesn't sit and cry and have a pity party. I'm sure he sends him along his way. And he sends him out. And he says, you go, because that's what I'm here for. That's hard. That is really, really hard those things that can bring us so much respect so much favor, so much attention those things or people that can really fill our known tank or bucket like crazy are relinquished to Jesus John got it he didn't put up a fight or try to barter with Jesus okay Jesus you take two but I keep ten <laughs> anybody been there? okay Jesus I want this job but if you give me this job then I'll do it. I mean we do this don't we? we want this we barter but he didn't do that God is calling us to relinquish. He not only wants you to reflect, but to relinquish. For Abraham, it was his son, his one and only son, that he waited a hundred years to be born. For Jacob, it was the firstborn's blessing and respect from his dad. For David, it was the beautiful Bathsheba. For Paul, it was his heritage and clinging to the law. Everybody's got to relinquish something. Following Jesus ain't easy. And killing pride is the only way, the only way it's going to happen is if you reflect Him and relinquish everything to Jesus. See, in all these people, God did mighty things through them, just like John the Baptist, but they had to lay their pride down to be known at the foot of Jesus and relinquish everything to Him. What are you struggling to relinquish to Him? Lastly, Killing pride means we reduce our appetite for being known by everyone and everything else and run to Jesus. See, we reflect Him, we relinquish, and then we run. You've got to move. There's no such thing as standing still. We have to move. I mean, if you learn this in any, uh, um, uh, when they're teaching in psychology or like, like Alcoholics Anonymous, great example, I mean, they, they say you got to, you can't just not do, you've got to do something you, you can't just fill your time with nothing. You've got to fill your time with something. So run to something that's positive. And there's nothing more positive than running after the creator of the universe. And so the only way we're going to reduce our appetite is to fill it with the bread of life. To run to Him. See, later on in Scripture, John talks about this. He's doing his ministry still. He's out there. He's baptizing. Jesus is doing his ministry now. And he's constantly sending him. He's already said, hey, that's the one. That's the Lamb of God. I'm sending you to Jesus. And now he's probably telling him, go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. I baptize you, but go to Jesus. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Go to him. And one of his, his, his disciples comes to him. And he says this. It, it, it's, it's kind of ridiculous. He says, Rabbi. Teacher, almost respected teacher. John, the one that we all look to. That man you talked about. (laughs) You get that? That man. In the Hebrew, it's an interesting setup. It's like that dummy. That know it all. That guy over there that. no, No, you're the one, John. He, over there, look what he's doing. He, no. He's baptizing too. And now, many people are following Him. You can sense the indignance of this, this, this disciple. He's so angry. He's so upset. How dare this guy do what you are doing? How dare this guy do... And you know how... It, none of you have ever fallen into that trap, right? When a, a, a fellow coworker comes to you and says, Hey, did you hear that this... And you don't ever sit back and go, No, oh, it's fine. You ever caught yourself just jumping into that too? Yeah! Yeah, what what the heck? What the heck is that? Politics is great for that. That's our pastime as Americans, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to get in and I'm going to tell you... You know, we just have a tendency to get in and... And it's like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. John puts this in per, into perspective. John couldn't have made it any clearer that it's not about him. He's reflecting Jesus. He couldn't have made it any clearer that he's going to relinquish everything he's got to Jesus. And now he's got to show this disciple, I'm going to run to Jesus. Because the truth is, we're all going to come to a place in life where the new person in the office will do a better job and a faster job. There's going to be someone who's smarter. There's going to be someone that's greater. We won't have as many friends. We won't have as many followers, as many fans, and people start leaving faster than they're coming. We're all going to have to face that day. And it's so much easier to be running along and going after Jesus now before your pride kills you. John says this in in, in chapter 3, verse 27 of the book of John. He says this, to this, John replied, So to this, he says, you know, a person can only receive what is given them from heaven. It's such a great little line, but the truth is, he brings it back to what we talked about in the second week with what Rihanna shared. Everything I've got it's because of Him. That man gave me everything I've got. And so I'm going to give it back to Him. See, life, life is not about me. Bottom line, it's not about me. This is why we keep running to Jesus. John goes on to say in that in that where he's saying look it's all his he's given it to me i'm gonna give it back he he says this and i love these words he's in verse verse 30 he says he must become greater i must become less in the king new king or the king james i think it says i must decrease he must increase i love that because if we really want to kill pride that's the attitude it's more than just reflecting. It's more than just relinquishing. It's got to be running. It's got to be, I'm going after him. He's got to be the one I'm lifting up. It's not about me. How about you? Where is your pride still fighting for you to be made known more than Jesus? Where in your life is this most prevalent? How could you make Jesus more known in this area? See, these are those deep questions that we have to wrestle with. Because if we don't, pride will just go on remote It'll just go on autopilot. Who are you trying to make known in your family? Do you want your kids to look up to you or to run after Jesus? Do you want your spouse to make you known or are you like John? running to Jesus. And then we get to the hard part. How about work? It really isn't about you. And at the end of the day, who are you reflecting in the office? Who is being reflected to your employees? How dare you disrespect me? Don't you know who I am? Or are you reflecting Jesus? Are you relinquishing even your position to him? And are you saying, while I'm here at work with this person I don't like, I'm gonna to run to Jesus? Now's the time to really just lay our pride down. I wanna challenge you right now. And in, in, in your notes there's there's a separate little area and you can if there's an area. I'd love to pray. In fact, one of the things I'd love to do is that we invite the worship team up here. Um, if you just want to take this time right now to close your eyes and bow your heads, this is this is a sacred time. In the Old Testament, we'd take our shoes off because where you're sitting is holy ground. Whenever you go before the King of Kings, it's holy ground, and He says, "Come before Me boldly." One of the one of the things we're going to talk about in the next couple of weeks as we start looking at the Kingdom of God is we can call Him Daddy but as you come before him and you kneel before him or you sit on his lap and you talk to him there are things in your life just like my life that I've got to lay down because at the end of the day who are you reflecting? what do you need to relinquish? and are you going to run to Jesus? that's all it is and that's the only way you're going to kill pride and have the relationships that God wants you to have. So Lord, we just come before you. In this time and in this place, there are struggles, there are issues. I know even in my own family, I struggle with knowing my own kids and and being known because I am so imperfect. But God, you know me it says in your word that before I was even born you knit me together you knew everything about me every hair on my head you're awesome and we just want to be like John and so Lord I pray right now that in this time with my brothers and sisters who are here in these areas of their life they know I don't know but you know and you're going to help them to know Where are they struggling? In these areas, help them to see where they they can reflect you. Where they can relinquish. Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's that position. Help them in this time through the power of your Holy Spirit as you helped John. As you helped Abraham, as you helped David, as you helped Paul, as you helped me, as you help my brothers and sisters right now, continue, help us. Continue to help us. To kill pride, humble ourselves, and may the grace, the storehouse of grace, be open to us in every situation. We know that you oppose the proud, but you give grace. Lord, help us to be humble. We thank you, and Lord, in this time, we just want to bring the ushers on forward. If you're new here, I would ask that you you don't give anything. There's no obligation here, but we have set aside this time as a church family so that we can bring our gifts before Jesus with a thankful and cheerful heart. It's ultimately one more step in our discipleship and following Christ. And as a church family, we believe in taking care of the least and the last and the lost. So that's why we're hoping for 70 families who will give so that we can partner with our community and give abundantly and serve Jesus. Lord, we just give this offering to you now in the name of Jesus. We lift it up so that it can be used by you to touch lives the broken and to help them. we love you and we thank you may you be praised and you be blessed in all that we